Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So uh, we have our reading. Um, Our reading is Hosea chapter 1. Hosea being a prophet in the Old Testament, writing uh, to the people of Israel. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So good morning again, everyone. Um, Let me start by adding my welcome to you, those online as well. uh, Just a massive welcome. It's so great to be together worshipping. I always find it easier to worship when the sun shines. I don't know about you. Uh, It's been great this morning. Um, A little disclaimer this morning. Uh, So yesterday, my family and I, we were at Longleat. We were having a great time. Uh, as As a Unrelated note, we need to get new windscreen wipers. Um, But uh, (laughs) we were there, and then I got a a message from Chris Dobson, who was supposed to be preaching this morning, saying he'd got COVID. Uh, So the Dobsons are at home watching. Uh, They're also doing a Zoom service, a Zoom kind of coffee for those people watching at home as well. So if you want to join afterwards, do uh, look in the chat if you're at home. Uh, But it meant that I've got to prepare a small sermon for this morning. Uh, like I had to do it quite late last night, and I uh, was just sitting down to prepare it, and, uh, and I heard Kathy Ka- putting Ruben to bed, and he was playing his favorite game in the bath, bath time of uh, what sinks or floats, and we discovered that mummy's phone sinks. Uh, so, <sighs> yeah, right, so we're in our sermon series this morning. We're, uh, we're going through the whole of the Bible in 14 weeks, and we've got a very small task this morning of doing the whole rest of the Old Testament from Exodus to Malachi. So um, really a lovely one to have very little preparation for. So um, shall we pray? <laughs> Lord God, help. No, um, <laughs> Father God, thank you so much that we are here and able to worship you this morning. Thank you that however we come to you, whether we are in the good times or in the desert times, 
whether we are loving life or finding it a real struggle. Lord God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are here with us. Lord God, as I just bring these words and these thoughts, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us. Draw us to yourself. Help us to understand your word more so that we may live it out better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we're on our series, All Things New, Joining in God's Story of Recreation. Uh, journeying through the whole Bible in 14 weeks. And uh, by now, if you've been to one of your, our sermons, you will have seen uh, this picture by now, this journey that takes us through the whole of Scripture, that starts in the beginning, uh, God creating. There is a creation, there's wonderful, there's goodness, but that's not how the story Korean continues. Uh, there is decreation takes place. Two weeks ago, Paul uh, spoke on Genesis 3 uh, and the story of how uh, all the messiness in the Bible, all the brokenness in our world, all the suffering that happens, it comes because of the marring effects of sin. And for us humans, we, we are made in the image of God, aren't we? That's what we celebrate in Genesis 1. Uh, but, but actually, that image of God within us gets distorted. Yes, we are capable of very, very good things, and we are very good and wonderful, but we are also, uh, all of us at times, can be destructive. And that's the third chapter of the Bible, but then the rest of the story is a journeying. There's been a kind of creation, there's been decreation at the fall, but the rest of the story is a journey through the Old Testament to Jesus of recreation. Uh, Jesus being, of course, the high point where his life, death, resurrection, and ascension uh, is the key decisive moment in history, guaranteeing that one day all things will be made new. And we're on that journey to when Jesus returns. And Revelation uh, 20, 21 and 22 pictures a world where there is no, de no death, no pain, no suffering. I'm sure that's a world where phones do not get broken in water. Um, I don't know why that feels relevant at the moment, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a journey, uh, and we're in that journey. Um, so that's the story of the whole Bible, creation, then to decreation, and one day a recreation. But actually, that's also the story of little parts of the Bible as well. So we have, uh, you know, we, last week Peter was here kind of taking us through a bit more of the Old Testament. Um, the story of Israel, first with Abraham, and then through the generations to Jacob, who had 12 sons, uh, who would later become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these were God's beloved people, but they experienced the real effects of sin, uh, the decreation effects. They, these tribes were enslaved in Egypt. And last week, Peter took us through the story of how Yahweh reveals himself and shows his love and delivers Israel out of slavery. He establishes a loving covenant relationship with Israel, and Yahweh carries them through the wilderness and into the promised land. A, a promised land that is a land that is overflowing with milk and honey, a land full of gardens, much like reminiscent of that garden of Eden, a new sign of the promise of God working for the redemption of all. And last week, Peter left us at the gateway to that promised land, this new and glorious phase of life uh, in the life of the people of Israel, a moment full of hope, and of promise. Yet it was uh, largely a hope and a promise that was to remain largely unfulfilled. See, actually, for large parts of the Old Testament, this journey of creation, decreation, and recreation is not so much of a line, but more of a bit of a cycle. 
Because Israel goes into the promised land, but it doesn't go quite so swimmingly as we have hoped. As we follow the story into Joshua and Judges, uh, Israel follows God to start with. They follow his commandments. They do what he says. uh, And they start by following him, and it goes well. But then they are led astray. They start, they're influenced by people around them, by people groups around them. They are influenced by their religions. And they actually, a really common sin for Israel was to start worshipping other gods. They, they, they turn aside from the love of God and worship idols instead. So at this point, God removes his blessing from them. He says, you know, if you don't want to be my people, uh, then that's okay. But at that point, they come up against opposition. They are oppressed uh, and they are defeated and maybe even enslaved. In this moment, they call out to God. They call out to Yahweh for deliverance. Naturally, because God is love, because he is forgiveness, because he is goodness, he restores and redeems his people when they ask. But the story continues, and and he raises up a judge. The first judge he raises up is called Othniel. And he raises them up, uh, and they they will uh, come up against the opposition of, of who they are, uh, who, the people, the group they're facing, and uh, Israel is saved. They conquer, uh, and, and they are, live in a time of goodness. But this is not, a, not just a kind of simple uh, linear journey. This is a cycle, because they live in a kind of good place until the judge dies. They're following God, but then they go astray again, and the cycle starts again. And there are 14 judges uh, where this, go, this story goes through. There's people like Ehud, there's Deborah, and then, and then the famous final uh, luscious-locked Samson is probably the most famous judge that we can think of. And this cycle continues and continues for, for about 300 years or so. Round and round, and we go until the book, we get to the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, where Israel looks once more at other nations around them and thinks, they have kings, we want a king. They called to God and asked him for a king. And, and God knew what was going to happen. He knew that this was probably not for the best. And this was actually a rebellion and a rejection of him as king. He was supposed to be their king. They were supposed to be his holy people. But yet, out of love, he finds them a king. And kingship and kingdom are incredibly important themes throughout the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament. And, and that's something we're going to dwell on a couple, in a couple of weeks' time a lot more. But following the story on, uh, the kingdom of Israel goes well to start with. They are following God. Uh, But then King Saul, the first king, uh, he kind of starts to fall away. He starts to go astray, particularly during and after his conflict with the Philistines, uh, where we get David uh, coming on the scene first. There's a steady decline with Saul. It goes really, really wrong for him. But then God raises up David, who leads, leads Israel well. He is a man after God's own heart, following God before he also falls from grace. The story of David and Bathsheba is awful and an awful fall uh, and and being being led astray is probably a small way of putting it. Then Solomon comes along, the next king, and he follows God and he's good. He writes many of the wisdom books in the Old Testament, uh, you know, Proverbs and and a lot of the Psalms and, and various other things. But then he falls into classics, Israel's classic problem of being led astray and worshipping other gods, not worshipping Yahweh. And so the, this line goes on and this circle, this cycle kind of goes on and on. But it's, at this point, it's less of a cycle and more of a downward spiral. 
You see, because uh, when, when they experience decreation, when they experience things going wrong, each time it gets worse and worse. And, and, and the kind of, the, the, each king is probably a bit worse than the last one before them. Eventually, we get the story of Israel being split into two. We have two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. The kingdom is fractured, and there are separate lines of kings. At this time, the prophets emerge more clearly. So there's lots of prophets emerge. A lot of the Old Testament is full of writings of the prophets. And our, on our reading this morning uh, is from Hosea chapter 1, which is, is he was one of those prophets. And these, these writings of the prophets are kind of hard for us to understand with our modern 21st century ears. Anyone else think that reading was slightly strange at the beginning? Yeah, good, good to see some nods. It is slightly odd and they're kind of hard for us to understand, but it was very powerful at the time. You see, the prophets were calling Israel to repentance. They were calling Israel to turn back to God. They were calling kings to turn back to God because that would be good for their people. You know, if we look at our, our reading this morning in various places in the Old Testament, um, Israel's relationship with God is described as a marriage. See, Hosea's marriage and his story is really just one big analogy between, of the relationship between God and his people, Israel. And it's not a good marriage. It is not a good uh, relationship. One side is faithful, but one side is not. Verse 2 says this. Oh, hello. There we go. Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. So whereas Yahweh is faithful to his people, he's faithful to his covenant, Israel was anything but. They would constantly turn away from him, look to other gods. And so the prophets called Israel and its kings to follow Yahweh and not those other gods. And crucially, to live as people who reflect the love and the goodness and the holiness of God. This way of living was not about being seen to do the right thing, but actually about whole life worship, whole life following of God, serving the poor, looking after the vulnerable, caring for the sick and the needy. This was all part of godly living. Sound familiar? This is what the Christian life follows on from. We learn a lot of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, from how Israel was called to live. Israel was supposed to be, in the, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, was supposed to be a light unto the nations. People were supposed to look at Israel, see the light, and see the light and love of God and go, wow, God should be worshipped. That's what that, how it was supposed to work. Now, occasionally, the kings and the people would, would hear the calls of the prophets and, and, these, and, and the challenge, and things would go better. you get some good kings coming along. Um, but more often than not, each king is worse than their predecessor, and the spiral continues down and down. And similarly, the warnings of the prophets got more and more stark. See, the marriage story of Hosea continues, uh, where he gets married, uh, he has a, uh, uh, he has a, a child, uh, and then the Lord saw, God said to him, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. I will put an end to the kingdom. See, Hosea was, was just one of many prophets who warned Israel and Judah again and again. But these warnings went unheeded. And eventually it all came to an end. The, the spiral continued down until the point where actually enough was enough. And first Israel and then Judah came to an end. 
See, the neighboring Assyrian uh, empire kind of rose up and, and conquered Israel. And then in 597 BC, the Babylonians, having beaten the Assyrians, then conquered Judah as well. And the whole uh, people of Israel were conquered and sent into exile. Thousands upon thousands were taken and scattered. Many were killed. Others were forced out of their homes, taken into slavery, servitude. Even over, you know, even over the centuries, as kind of Israel's, Israelites would journey back uh, and come back in their dribs and drabs. Actually, ancient Israel never regained its glorious kingdom once more. You know, it went from Babylonian rule to Persian rule to Greek rule, and then obviously we get Roman occupation where the New Testament begins and happens. So the exile was truly catastrophic. It was a truly catastrophic event, and is arguably the most important event if we're going to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is hard to understand, but let's first get, get it at the importance of the exile. The writings before it spoke about it coming. The writings during the exile spoke, obviously, into the story. And then, and then after the exile had happened and people were starting to come back, there was a journey and a point towards a new thing happening. The exile is so important if we're going to understand the Old Testament. See, again, Hosea's marriage depicts God and Israel's relationship which was ultimately behind all of these events. He has another child, which he calls Lo-Ruhamah, uh, and, uh, which means God not loved, because God was removing his favor from Israel. And then verses 8 and 9 say this, After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is pretty bleak, isn't it? It's a pretty bleak picture and pretty awful. But, and this is a really important but, the story did not finish there. The very next verse in the reading goes this. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. See, whilst the spiral was broken with the exile, this did not mean that God stopped loving his people. You know, the, the sad reality was that these people were not his people anymore. They had wandered away from him and rejected him, and yet he still loved them. God is the definition of love. He never changes. And just because Israel had rejected him and rejected him and rejected him and rejected him, he still had to say, actually, no, I'm going to make it something different. He never broke his side of the covenant. He never stopped chasing after them, and he came up with a new plan. He begins, he brings a promise of new life, a hope of new life, a journey towards an ultimate recreation. Because as catastrophic an event as the exile was, there was a coming event that was even more potent, but this time for good, for everlasting good. A coming saviour who would, who would bring Israel once more into relationship with God, but more than that, would bring all of us, Gentiles and Jews alike, into the family of God. We have an access to him. You know, where, where Israel was, they failed to be the light unto the nations, didn't they? They failed, but actually this coming saviour would be the very light of the world, who would extend salvation to the ends of the earth. 
a saviour who would restore people to that relationship that we were made for, relationship with God, who would restore us fully to the image of God, who would redeem all of creation. If we think back to our Christmas carol services, a lot of it is verses from the Old Testament where they, they point to this new hope, this new coming life. You know, the, the, we're familiar with the words Isaiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The Old Testament is full of these kind of prophecies, these visions. Uh, there's over 350 messianic prophecies, many of them written during and after the exile, pointing towards Jesus coming. Jesus, of course, being the one that fulfills uh, these visions, fulfill these prophet, prophecies, uh, and points towards the ultimate hope for new life. New life, new freedom, new recreation. And so that's the story of the whole Old Testament, from creation to decreation, recreation. The story of Israel is from the promised land, they go into slavery and into exile. They experience ultimate decreation, but there is a hope. There is a hope of new life that comes immediately, that they knew and that believed in, and Jesus came and fulfilled. So that's the kind of story. Hopefully you stayed with me there. Some nods. If not, have a, have a look, have a think. There's lots of stuff on, lots of videos online that kind of summarize the Old Testament that help us understand any passage that we read. Uh, it'll kind of understand where in the story they fit. Uh, and I really recommend engaging with the Old Testament. When I started at, at Trinity, when I started training for ordination, I chose all of the Old Testament courses. I chose, chose Hebrew because I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything at all, and I really wanted to engage with it. And I can't recommend it enough. It's a journey I've been on probably on the last five years especially. And I really, really recommend it to you to, to wrestle with the Old Testament. It's hard, but it is life-giving, I promise you. But to finish, I just want to kind of go back a step. I just want to go back to the exile. Because actually, I think, you know, when I was thinking about the exile last night, I realized again how relevant the teachings are for us at the moment. You know, we only have to look at the world, don't we, and realize the profound nature of those teachings. You know, we have a refugee crisis that the world is wrestling with. We've had a refugee crisis for years, and it's only got worse uh, with what, how many millions of Ukrainians facing leaving their homes, being sent away, uh, having to find space to live not in their own land. This is the story of Israel in many ways. But but of course, this story, you know, the refugee crisis is not the only experience of exile. You know, we, we had to shut our churches over the last two years. We were exiled from our buildings. Many people have only just started coming back. This last two years has been an experience of exile, where it feels like God is distant, where it feels like God is not there and not at work. It may feel like right now that you are in an exile time. Maybe it feels like God is distant to you that he is quiet, and maybe it feels like he doesn't care. If that's you, I want to say really, really clearly that God has not changed, that God has not stopped loving you, has not stopped caring. He never stopped loving Israel. He never stopped pursuing them. He doesn't stop loving you and caring for you. Yes, we go through hard times. Yes, we go through awful, awful times, but I know in my life, Every time I've gone through a valley experience, the, the, the mountain the other side is only higher. And actually, I discover that God loves me more, and it kind of makes sense, and I see God at work. But it doesn't mean that those exile times aren't hard. 
And so I, maybe just to finish, can I invite the band up? And we're going we're gonna to kind of go into our, our next song in a moment. But I just want to pray for us. And I want to pray for you, especially if you find yourself in that hard time. Should we stand together? Maybe shut your eyes and think about whatever emotions, feelings, worries, concerns you have. Focus on God because he is here. He is here by his Holy Spirit. The same God who has conquered sin and death on the cross. And the same God who will make all things new. Will restore all goodness. He loves and cares for you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you know what it means to go through hardship. You know what it means to go through pain and, and that you're not a God who is distant at any point. You're a God who gets involved, gets involved in the messiness of this creation. Lord, I pray for anyone who is feeling distant from you this morning. Reveal your goodness. Fill them with your presence. Holy Spirit, we ask you to show us again how much you love and care for each and every one of us. Thank you that you're in control, that you are sovereign. Amen.